But many of these claims were what I would call boilerplate uh, mantras for the uh, raised bed enthusiasts. It's, it's the same thing everybody says about them, and they all just repeat them. And I really don't know how much scrutiny or thought has been put into saying, does it really do that? Or maybe the claim is like, is that really specific to raised beds? You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 90, brought to you by Vessi Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Uh, changing things up here a little bit, uh, I've been doing the podcast audio only for the last, uh, you know, four, three years and change, and this is season four, midway through the season, I just, it just dawned on me that perhaps if I did them in video form, uh, they might get a bit more traction on YouTube. <laughs> it seems to be working, I did my last uh, podcast interview with Robert Pavlis on video, and then that did fairly well. So I'm going to try to stick with that. I mean, the podcast will still be available in audio form, but for those that just want to see me move my hands around a lot, because that's, <laughs> that's kind of how I talk, <laughs> uh, I'm doing it this way. So uh, today, uh, it's just me, and uh, I'm going to probably do an interview uh, next podcast two weeks from now. I try to do one every two weeks. Um, I'm going to talk about the hurricane, Hurricane Dorian, that was here in uh, Nova Scotia and hit my garden. I just put out a very quick uh, seven minute video on that. You can check that out on YouTube. Uh, I'm also going to talk about a bit, a bit more on my next garden tour video, which should be coming up uh, probably this weekend if I can get a decent day for filming. Uh, but the main theme today, the thing I was going to talk about before there was a hurricane, the big plan was to do another talk on raised beds. And this is a perennial issue with me. Uh, there seems to be an incredible amount of enthusiasm and, and literature written on these things. And I'm not saying they're not, not uh, a good way to garden, but it just seems to be one of these things people come at, like, uh, if you have a raised bed, everything will be amazing, and it solves every possible problem you can think of. And uh, I, I just, uh, it, it just, there's something about it doesn't ring right with me. And I read an article very recently. Uh, it was like one of these ones where they're talking about all the, all the positive, you know, all the pros. And so many of the things they were listing as like benefits of raised beds, none of these things were things specific to raised beds. Um, it was a very kind of oddly written article, but there was nothing in there that I hadn't read a thousand times in other articles like this. Honestly, I think everybody's just uh, reading each other's stuff and writing the same things over and over again, um, but not necessarily doing trials and comparisons and so on like I'm doing in my garden when I have some some raised beds, some barely raised and some not raised at all and comparing the results, really no big difference. Um, so I'm gonna to speak to all these things. So uh, first, Hurricane Dorigan. So we had a category one hurricane hit the province. Um, where it made, where it hit land is really not that far from me. I live uh, fairly close to the ocean and I live fairly close to where it actually sort of touched down on the province and it was still in full force at the time. People were asking about the winds. I think the gusts were up to 140 kilometers per hour. Sorry if you're doing this in uh, Imperial, you'll just have to Google the translation into Imperial. I think the, um, whatever it's called, sustained winds at uh, 100 kph and gusts up to 140 kph. Um, most of what's smashed in my garden is stuff that was kind of done anyway, or if it wasn't done, I was done dealing with it. Uh, specifically the, the, the cucumbers. Uh, I have been making cucumbers nonstop uh, a couple batches a week or some, in some cases a batch every two days for like it feels like two months uh, and I've sort of reached my limit of uh, my energy for making uh, pickled cucumbers, you know pickles. 
uh, and uh, I was sort of almost looking for a reason to stop. The garden was slowing down, the cucumbers were slowing down anyway. For those that grow them all the time, they're starting to get that uh, weird shapes and, you know, kind of round. Instead of having a normal sort of normal cucumber shape, you know, that sort of long cucumber shape like a hot dog, uh, they were starting to almost be like a ball shaped or like a, a weird... Uh, uh, light bulb shape, all these weird sort of shapes, and they just don't pickle as well, and they don't have the same flavor. So I, I made my last batch of pickles um, just the other day. I, I picked a bunch right before the hurricane, and um, as soon as we got power back, I turned them into pickles. Uh, ideally, you should make them into pickles as soon as you pick them, but we had had no electricity here for 48 hours. Um, what else? Uh, my zucchini got smashed up pretty good. It's still growing, but the plants got bent over and so on. But I, I've had so much zucchini, I can barely keep up with it. I've been cook, cooking it every way I can think of and making all kinds of relish, uh, giving it away to people and making, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do with zucchini. And I've done all of those things and, uh, and I love zucchini, but uh, I'm happy to have a little break from zucchini for uh, till next July. <laughs> I've had enough zucchini. Um, the tomatoes, uh, almost all my, all my tomatoes this year were the bush variety. They grow a lot faster. And uh, they're starting to turn red now. I'm starting to get, you know, I have to pick them every couple of days now. I got lots of tomatoes. Um, they all got blown down, blown over. They're not dead. They're just over. And, uh, you know, it's getting close to that part of the year where we have risk of frost. We haven't had a frost warning yet. Uh, so I think in northern New Brunswick, which is, isn't too far from here, maybe a five-hour, four or five-hour drive north at highway, at highway speed, um, they had a frost warning, I think, last week. And so that'll probably be happening. I mean, depending on, I mean, hurricanes tend to warm everything up and who knows what's going to happen around here. You never know what's going to go on with the uh, temperatures. Um, but sometimes we have frost, frost in September, so it can happen. And I've found that uh, just, just by laying the tomatoes down, it really does, because um, the ground heats up during the day and it has some heat. So, so the plants that are down on the ground and sort of flopped over with all the foliage on top. Uh, it's a simple way to uh, uh, protect your tomato plants from frost if you think you're going to get frost. Um, and if you get caught with your pants down some night and, and you don't forget to put a tarp or something over the tomatoes, just by having them down on the ground like that, uh, sometimes will we'll protect a good number of them. Maybe not all of them if they're exposed, but a lot of them will be okay that way. And of course, you put a tarp on that, you just do that much more or some sort of... I, I usually have these... Uh, you know, painting uh, canvas things I use for like painting the walls in my house. They're called runners. They just happen to be, you can get them really cheap. Um, and an advantage using canvas as a frost cover is that it's just got a bit more beef. It's got some insulative properties. I mean, you can use a tarp, but a canvas doesn't blow away. It, it tends to sit, uh, stay in place. I mean, I've got these just for painting anyway, so it's a good way to sort of air them out and stuff like that. Um, but a runner is a thing that goes along a wall and it's about you know, four feet by 12 feet. Uh, so, or one meter by four meters or whatever, however you want to translate that. So it's ideal for my beds that tend to have those kind of dimensions, four by eight, four by ten, that sort of thing. And it's just an ideal uh, cover for a bed. Anyway, getting way off topic. Uh, the kale and all the greens are still fine. Some of the kale got sort of blown over a little bit. Uh, and we had a, a, what is it, Category 1 hurricane. We had enough wind here to completely blow down six of my spruce trees and any tree that was semi-dead or whatever got blown down. I had a dead tree that was maybe 
20 feet high and it had a birdhouse on top. That tree's down and the birdhouse down. Um, really, it wasn't a birdhouse anyway. Uh, squirrels had taken over the birdhouse, uh, which they tend to do. Um, so, I mean, we had good wind, <laughs> lots of wind. Um, all the greens are fine. I mean, they're, they're roughed up a little bit, but they, they'll be okay. And maybe I should go out there in the next couple of days and, and pick off every single affected leaf. And I can, they can probably regrow. There's still about a, a decent month of growing. Uh, and that's about it. People have been asking me about, I mean, I'm all over the place in my topics here, but people have been asking me about, you know, getting planting things and so on and so forth. Really for where I live, um, you know, we're almost halfway through September already. What is it? September 10th or 9th as I, as I record this today. Um, really not much, uh, not much can happen after this. I mean, last year I, plant, I sowed spinach in a cold frame with the lid on the 1st of October. And uh, by some point in November, they stopped growing and they're about an inch high, maybe an inch and a half high. I mean, you got to remember from this point that we gotta, the days are just going to get shorter and shorter. And it's getting colder and colder, right? We're like less than or around four months, give or take, from the, the, the shortest day of the year, the least amount of sun, right? And also this time of year, uh, aside from there being less sun, it's colder. And in addition to that, it tends to be um, more overcast, more rainy, more that sort of thing. So there's less sun, even though the length of day is short, getting shorter, the amount of sun, the intensity of the sun, the amount of sunlight, because um, it's so many days we have overcast, is less as well. So really, for me, it's, it's kind of, I planted some uh, spinach and some lettuce in August. And really, like the first week of August is the time to plant anything like that. For me, for where I am, if I'm going to get anything out of it in the fall. Uh, the lettuce I planted, I did a video, uh, Sowing in the Heat. I had some title like that. You can go back and look. It would have been in August if you look at my videos. And those uh, lettuce, which is like a romaine lettuce, are about, about four inches high right now. Um, right? And they'll continue to grow. But, you know, that's the limit. Some, sometime in early August, if you want to get anything in the fall, where I am here. If you're somewhere else where it's just sunnier in in the fall, then you probably have different rules, especially if you can get it under a dome or a cold frame. But as I've said many times, having something under a dome or a cold frame only effective if you're getting sunlight. Um, not just the length of day, but actually sunny days as opposed to overcast, foggy, rainy days. Um, now my only real regret in the garden in terms of what I didn't do to protect it and prepare it and that sort of thing was I wish I'd put guy lines on my apple trees because the two really good apple trees that are, were producing pretty good this year were blown right down to the ground. And I, I've used some rope and brought them back up and propped them up and they should be okay, but it probably takes something out of what you know whatever energy they were going to store up this fall. I'm sure that has interrupted it a bit and I'm sure it'll have an effect on, on next year's yield. Because uh, it's you know it's a major uh, interruption or a major upset to a plant to have to have that happen to it. Um, uh, people ask me if I have a generator, what sort of uh, you know preparations I have for the hurricane. Uh, I, I don't have a generator. Um, the power is out for four, 48 hours, so we're pretty lucky in that sense. Uh, really, we just you know filled the tubs up with water to use for flush the, flushing the toilet. We filled, uh, I've got a well here, so there's only one tap in the house with the reverse osmosis uh, filter that has drinking water. The rest of the water is just for washing and stuff like that. There's a, a minor uh, arsenic and uranium count in our water. The, the reverse osmosis 
reverse osmosis filter takes that all out. I also have a water softening unit, which also removes a lot of the metals and stuff like that. So anyway, we, we filled up some buckets of water just for washing and stuff like that and other buckets of water for, for drinking water. We are fine. We, we're still using the water <laughs> we stored up uh, the, uh, for the hurricane. It's still some of that in our kitchen being used up. Um, I, um, there's something about generators, just the, 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 the they're big and they're bulky. You got to spend a lot of money to get them. Uh, you got to run them. They're noisy. Uh, you got to have fuel on hand. I, I remember the day before the hurricane, I saw all these people lined up these massive lineups at you know uh, various uh, retail places buying propane, uh, you know getting fuel for their generators, buying water. Why on earth you'd buy water if if you if you have a well or you've got city water? Um, why you'd buy buy water is uh, uh, mystifies me. I know there's people that think oh the government's putting mind control drugs in your water and that's probably not happening. <laughs> you know <laughs> the thing about that water is it's free. And your bottled water costs money, costs about as much as gasoline per liter. So, uh, and you don't even know where it's from. Usually, it's probably from some tap in some city somewhere. Uh, so, yeah, to me, it's just not worth uh, buying water um, when you could get it for free. <laughs> so, especially if you can get it, you know, good, clean sort of water, right? So, um, anyway, we didn't do any of that. We really didn't do anything. I mean, I've always got stuff on hand here. We. I think my wife bought some potato chips so we could have what we call around here storm chips. And um, I think we, we made sure we had lots of AAA batteries uh, for headlamps and uh, we got a AMM. I should have put it, I should have brought it in here. I've got, I got this thing at Value Village, a uh, AM FM tape cassette General Electric uh, player from like the 80s. And it's got a really good receiver, so it gets a really good signal. I mean, I've got a Grundig, you know, uh, radio with uh, a shortwave and all these different channels and stuff like that. But this big GE one, this huge thing, seems to get better reception. It's got a giant antenna. It's just a great old radio. It takes uh, four C batteries. Um, kind of a cool retro sort of thing that I got for a buck at a, you know, used stuff store. So, um, yeah, I don't have a generator. I did, you know, I became worried towards the end that the uh, the deep freeze might thaw out because I put so much, I don't really care about, you know, roasts and stuff like that. It's all the time and energy I put into uh, freezing and processing uh, the veg from my garden. I didn't want that stuff to thaw out and lose that stuff. So uh, I got thinking about, you know, what could I do in the future? I really don't want to get a generator, but the notion of perhaps buying a, an inverter, maybe a 2000 or uh, 3000 watt Inverter, that's the thing that takes the uh, 12, uh, 12 volt electricity that your, your car or truck or whatever produces and changes that to you know 110 AC so you can run various appliances in your house off. There's a whole um, you know, uh, technical aspect to that that I really don't have a, any sort of background in that at all. So um, I have some consternations about that. Um, if anybody knows about a good, you know, I know a lot of my viewers are self-reliance types. Uh, if anybody knows about a good inverter to buy, there's something about that. It's a relatively small unit, easy to store. And I mean, your car or your truck or whatever you own, you know, a vehicle, if you have one, uh, that's a generator. It, it generates enough electricity to turn over a large engine. So it's a good generator. Uh, you wouldn't want to use that, you know, indefinitely. If the world came to an end, you'd want to... 
um, some solar sort of thing, right? Because whatever fuel you're going for is going to run out. It's run out at some point. Um, but uh, also, if someone knows about, uh, you know, what would be really appealing to me would be some sort of battery pack that you could charge up with a lithium battery that will run a freezer just for like maybe a two hours a day or something like that right just to keep the freezer you know maybe the freezer comes on for two hours every day just to recold itself uh, some sort of battery pack that that does that sort of thing I, I'm looking around online I can't seem to find anything but I don't really know what to call when I'm looking for I've been typing in like freezer battery pack and I'm finding all these things that guys that use ambulances would have because there's battery operated freezers that you know um, you know, um, health workers use to keep various things they need for uh, dealing with patients cold because, you know, blood and stuff like that. Um, but that's not what I'm looking for. I want something to run my deep freeze. And I want to run my house, whole house. I, you know, there's all kinds of people in, in my area. They had these, there was gener the day after the hurricane, you went outside and all you could hear was generators everywhere. And uh, I don't know what people were using them for all day and all night. It's a lot of gasoline. But, um, Anyway, it doesn't really appeal to me. It's, it's kind of noisy, and uh, I'm not in a situation. I mean, I could see if you had to run some sort of you know, life-saving uh, medical equipment or something like that. But, uh, you know, um, and perhaps if, if you were without power for a long time, I could see that being worthwhile. Or if you were lived far from civilization, that sort of thing. I, I live 20 minutes from a uh, city, <laughs> right? So I'm not... Even though it's remote out where I am, in the sense that I, my house backs onto a forest, and I'm not on, uh, you know, I don't have any, I don't know, a septic field, and I have a well, and I'm, you know, there's a forest with black bears behind my house, but I'm a 20-minute drive, and I'm in a city, you know, a city with uh, 400, 500, 600,000 people. So, um, uh, I'm just not in a situation like that. I'm not in the pure self-reliance situation where I'm in the middle of nowhere, uh, even though it, if you look out the window, it feels like it sometimes. Um, so yeah, some sort of, if anybody knows of a product that you can buy like that, some sort of battery pack that will run a freezer, like a small deep freeze, uh, I'd be interested in, uh, in, in looking into that. Now, raised beds, topic of today's podcast. I read an article recently, this, this author is professional author, professional gardening person. I'm not going to name names and I don't want to start a feud and it's not my goal here, right? It's just to... Add another perspective to the conversation, I guess, because there's so much hype and so much enthusiasm about raised beds. And if, if, if a new gardener were to read these things, they would be inclined to think that this is the only way to do it, or this is the way you have to do it, or this is the only way you can have success. In fact, when, uh, you know, when I talk to people that barely know me and I'm getting to know someone, and they say, oh, what are you into? I said, oh, you know, I like fishing, I like gardening, and I've got a, you know, I've got a pretty big vegetable garden in my background, backyard. They'll always say, oh, raised beds. You know, there's this like, <laughs> raised beds, you know, there's real excitement. And I'm like, no, not really. I mean, some of them are kind of, but not really. You know, like you don't, you don't have to have raised beds. Why is everybody always talking about raised beds? You don't need to do it. Um, and a lot of people spend a lot of money on the, the soil they put into them, the materials they build them out of. It's just uh, kind of a needless thing. So this article was in this vein. Um, here you got a writer that writes articles all the time, uh, many awards, uh, even an editor for a sort of major publication in, in the gardening world. Um, so, you know, a person you'd say, wow, that person knows what they're talking about, right? Um, and 
the article has you know a lot of reasons on why, why raised beds are so great um, but many of these claims were what I would call boilerplate uh, mantras for the uh, raised bed enthusiasm enthusiasts it's, it's the same thing everybody says about them and they all just repeat them and I really don't know how much scrutiny or thought has been put into saying does it really do that or maybe the claim is like is that really specific to raised beds or does that apply to any garden <laughs> right that sort of thing um, so I'm gonna lay out these claims one by one and I'm gonna knock them down <laughs> or agree with them where, where appropriate right um, and again, my goal is not to create, and you know, I, I haven't, you know, given you the name of this article and I haven't given you the name of this author because my goal here is not to be some sort of antagonist. My goal is to just make you think. And so when you're reading stuff, you say, really? You know, like question, question a little bit, be skeptical. Um, so here we go. The number one uh, first sort of point in the article, I'm not reading the article here. I've just listed the points in sort of a bullet form was that they look really nice. And that is the one point I wholeheartedly agree with. They do look really nice. And uh, I have some raised beds in my garden. And I'm, I'm very uh, fond of them and they look nice. And there's all kinds of fanciful designs you can use and materials you can use to build them. And you can make them look really nice. And they, they really do give a garden a nice uh, aesthetic, uh, dimensionality, uh, defining of things, right? So I like to define the space, right? So uh, I'm cool with that and I agree. Uh, number two says you can put them anywhere and uh, I mean it's basically a rectangle with if it's a box a rectangle with soil in it um, well you can put any garden anywhere you know, as long as, if we're talking about if we're not talking about a driveway or a pavement if we're just talking about like anywhere where there's soil well you can put any kind of garden anywhere right I mean if the soil is so hard and so rocky that you um, have to go up well yeah I suppose um, you probably have to go up because you can't go down I mean if it's if it's rocky but you could actually dig you could actually you know get that get the rocks out and you know get some decent soil in there and you have a garden without raising it right so but anyway the idea that they can be anywhere um, many types of gardens can be anywhere as long as there's decent soil uh, so uh, that's the uh, sort of a yes and no type claim, right? Um, third claim, they're good for defining borders. Well, yes, they are. But you don't need a raised bed to define a border. I mean, I have many gardens, uh, many beds in my no-till garden where I've defined the border. I've defined where you walk and where you don't walk, but the beds aren't raised. The, the actual soil level in the bed is at grade. So you don't need to raise something up to define a border. You just need some sort of means to define a border. And, and to that effect, even if you were making a garden on your lawn, I mean, you could just do edging, you know, that, that sort of thing where you, you cut them with a shovel and make a little, almost like a moat <laughs> around it, right? There's lots of different ways to define borders. You don't need to have any sort of materials whatsoever to define a border around a garden. So, uh, yeah. I guess they're good for defining borders, but you don't need a raised bed to define borders, <laughs> right? Any sort of border will define a border. Um, you could use rope or anything, uh, or rocks or bricks or whatever. Um, the fourth claim was that they can be made from repurposed materials. And I mean, that implies that you need a bed, that you need materials to define a bed, right? It implies that that's a need, like somehow everybody, 
right? What am I trying to say? That statement carries with it the implication that some materials are needed to have a garden. You don't need to have materials to have a garden. When I was a kid, a uh, garden was a rectangle of tilled earth, right? Everybody tilled the garden back then. Um, you don't have to define a border in any sort of way. You don't have to build them up at all. When I was a kid, all the gardens were pretty much at uh, ground level. Um, sometimes they'd have little rows, and each row was defined just by mounding the earth up. It was a, basically various mounds of earth. A mound of earth defines a garden just fine. Um, a mound of earth um, doesn't presuppose the need for materials, right? So you don't need materials. So to say that they can be made from repurposed materials, the, a garden doesn't have to be made from materials, right? And sure, a raised bed can be made from repurposed materials, but a bed that's at grade can be made from repurposed materials. Basically, if you want to use materials for just about any sort of building project, you can use materials. So that claim isn't really specific to raised beds. I know I'm getting very technical here, but this is just all the stuff <laughs> that was going through uh, my mind as I was reading this. And, you know, I, I don't make this content for for everyone. Um, I'm really, uh, you know, uh, how I came up with an idea for a video or one of these podcasts or whatever is just uh, the way I'm thinking about it. I mean, this podcast in a lot of ways is for people that uh, think a certain way. And when they read stuff, they're like, ah, I don't know about that. And, you know, so you don't feel like it's just you <laughs> that thinks a lot of stuff you read is rubbish or that's second guessing a particular uh, conventional way of doing something. You're not alone. Uh, I'm second guessing things too, right? And I like to try new things. So that's an, an part of the reason I do this thing is to let people out there know that you're, you're not alone. And, and yeah, sometimes when I read stuff, I, I get a bit uh, skeptical. Um, what was the fifth, the fifth claim? You control the soil. Now, this is a really odd one for me because uh, I've said many times, uh, I'm not in control of anything out in my garden. If anything, the, the organisms that are in that soil control things. I just, if anything, they're in control of me. I know that those soil organisms need inputs. They need organic matter to, to be happy, to be fruitful and multiply and proliferate. And if I, if I provide that for them, they will do things to the soil that allow me to grow the things I want to grow there. So if anything, the soil the organisms are in control of me. I'm not in control of the soil. Uh, if you're uh, an effective uh, no-till gardener, you don't control your soil. The soil controls you, <laughs> if anything, right? And you're just sort of helping out. You're, fa you're facilitating, I suppose. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have a large garden in my backyard, over 2,500 square feet. I haven't bought any soil at all. And I didn't start off with particularly good soil, right? Um, I just... You know, you grow things. If if a gar if a bed's not particularly good, you grow things that are easy to grow. You know, beans, peas, maybe potatoes, and uh, you apply heavy mulch on there. And maybe next year, uh, after the organisms have done some work in there, the soil will be a little bit more productive, and you can grow things that are a bit more demanding, and and just keep building it. Eventually, uh, your brown soil becomes black soil, and you can just tell by the feeling of it, and so on and so forth, that it's becoming really good productive stuff that you can grow just about anything in. So, uh, yeah, you can put a box on the ground and fill it full of soil, but you know, control soil, I mean, a lot of that soil that people buy, you buy um, some garden soil, I don't care what they call it, super, triple organic, amazing, uh, a lot of that soil is just rubbish. I've done experiments in my garden where I've bought some of that stuff and put it in a bed 
and compared it to just you know one year old horse manure or uh, one of my other beds it, it never performs as well as a no-till bed that's had a, a year or two, two to work yeah maybe in year one that, that's a way to get started um, but even if, as I've showed you don't even have to do it that way if you've got soil you know if you've got a lawn and there's soil in the lawn I mean, and people are going to say, oh, my yard's all rocks. Yeah, I'm not talking about you, <laughs> okay? If, you, if your ground is solid rocks, then, uh, yeah, you're probably going to have to bring something in. Even then, I wouldn't buy organic gardening soil. I, I just put something, if you can source it, I'd put like horse manure down because it's, um, it's not nearly as strong as a cow and sheep and stuff like that. It, it basically, once it's aged about a year, horse manure is soil in all the ways that sort of matter becomes soil. And it's got so many different enzymes and different things in it that it, it uh, as you add organic matter to that horse manure, it breaks down very quickly. So that's another cheap way to get going. Um, getting off topic a little bit. Anyway, you don't need to control the soil. <laughs> Experiments I've done, uh, you know, the hygge culture method is another good way if you don't want to buy soil, right? You dig up what's there, you bury a bunch of organic stuff, including some dead logs and stuff like that, and you put that initial soil back on top. And the stuff underneath, and, and you mulch it as well. So the, the mulch feeds the organism in the soil, and the stuff underneath uh, holds moisture and feeds the soil from underneath, and eventually you get really good results. And I've got lots of beds in my garden that are hugo culture beds, and they're very productive and they work, work very well. And uh, that's the way to go. And you're not in control of that soil, right? The soil's in control of you. <laughs> um, this is one that I found really aggravating uh, the soil temperature. Uh, you know, by having a raised bed, you get more optimal soil temperature. I've done lots of videos on this in my garden, uh, looking at which ones freeze first, which ones thaw first. Um, I've, I've never found that the raised beds confer any real advantage in terms of freezing, thawing, and that sort of thing. You got to think about, I'll try to draw something here, but uh, think about a raised bed and then compare that to uh, a, uh, a bed at grade. So I'm just going to do a really crappy drawing here. So here you've got one, one graphic and you've got, uh, I can't see that in the camera here, but you've got a soil level and you've got your raised bed above grade, right? So your raised bed's above grade, so the sides of the raised bed are exposed to the to the ambient air right and the top of the raised bed of course is exposed to the ambient air but the, the uh, soil underneath the res bed, raised bed is um, insulated by the surrounding earth right you know contrast that whoops with a um, with a bed that's at grade yeah Sorry, I'm not the greatest artist in the world here. So yeah, contrast that with a bed that's at grade. So let's say that, you know, this is your bed with the nice soil you've got in it. And this is all the surrounding earth. Well, this side is insulated by the surrounding earth, right? And this side of the bed is insulated by... So the only side of this bed that's actually exposed to the ambient air is the top of the garden. Everything else is, is insulated, right? So if we have a really, really cold night in November, um, you know, the, the top of all the raised beds freezes, 
whereas the top of my beds at grade, depending on the night, right, are a little less likely to, to freeze because they're a little better insulated from that. And I haven't found any advantage to the raised beds thawing out. Perhaps if you had a raised bed that was raised so high that all the water drained out of it all the time, which is another problem with raised beds, which they don't talk about here, um, they're probably not going to freeze because it can't freeze because it doesn't have any water in it. I mean, if there's got to be if, if there's got to be water for it to freeze. So if you've got a bed that doesn't freeze or is very very uh, you know thaws out really fast and takes forever to freeze, it's probably because it's very possible there's no water in it, and you've got a drainage issue and you got to water it all the time, right? Uh, my beds all have water in them, and. Uh, you know, I really don't have to do much. I haven't watered the garden once since July because, you know, it got a bit touchy there in, uh, I think, early August. Um, so I haven't found it, confer, it conveys, uh, confers any real advantage. They're talking about them freezing uh, later and, um, and thawing out sooner. I have not seen any such effect. I've got both kinds of bed in my garden that that's the case. Um, now they say uh, you can also put a, a dome over a raised bed, um, but you can put a dome over any bed, <laughs> right? Any bed that's got the dimensions uh, to accept a dome can have a dome over it, right? There's lots of different ways to uh, erect domes. So uh, you don't need a raised bed to put a dome over a patch of earth. So again, it's something that's not specific. Most of these things here are just not specific to raised beds. Um, so, uh, um, soil temperature. Another claim, another claim that's not specific to raised beds says um, you won't compact the soil because you won't be stepping on the raised bed. Well, any bed that's defined, if you have a garden where you've defined the walking paths and you've defined the beds where things are growing, you're not going to compact the soil. It's, it's not a property of the bed being raised um, that you're not compacting the soil. It's the property of the fact that the bed's been defined saying walk here, don't walk here, right? So again, that's not something about raised beds. That's just about having defined walking spaces and kneeling spaces in the garden and just having the wherewithal to not step on your soil all the time. Um, what's this other one? Pest control. Um, now they say pest control and then they go into specifics to talk about rabbits and groundhogs because of course a raised bed won't protect you from any other damn pest, right? I've got raised beds and I've got flea beetles and cabbage moths and slugs and snails and ants and everything you can imagine right? all kinds of different things in my in my raised bed so they're saying uh, rabbits and uh, groundhogs um, if you do a bit of reading you'll find out that uh, groundhogs have no problem getting into raised beds because they're groundhogs right? they make tunnels and uh, they got no problem going underneath something and coming up on into it <laughs> right i actually have a friend with a raised bed and uh, she had this very problem in her raised bed. She put a little two-inch high fence around her garden and a groundhog ate everything. So groundhogs, no, a raised bed is not going to protect you from that. Um, depending on the height, it could protect you from a rabbit. Now remember, somewhere in this article they state that the recommended height of a raised bed is 10 inches. That is not going to protect you from rabbits. I mean, a rabbit can get on its hind legs and maybe get up about two feet in terms of, you know, how high it can reach with its, you know, it does its eating with its face, its face eater. So uh, maybe reach up a foot, maybe reach up 16 inches, to, to, you know, depending on the type of rabbit where you live and so on and so forth. So, I mean, any one of my, most of my raised beds are only six or eight inches high in terms of the wood around them. 
uh, any rabbit, you know, hopping down that pathway, if there's any sort of foliage spilling off into the aisle, um, they can get at that foliage no problem. And they got no problem. What do you think in the woods if something's eight inches high, they can't get over it? Or if something's 10 inches high, they can't get over it? I mean, you'd have to have a very high uh, raised bed, which leads me to another point they make about mobility issues, right? The raised bed is, um, you know, good for if you have trouble kneeling or bending over and so forth. And, you know, every time I do one of these things on, on raised beds, people say, I need one because I have a bad back. And yeah, I'm not saying don't get one if you've got a bit. If at some point in my life, uh, my health changes to the extent that I, I can't kneel and I can't bend over, then I'll have to scale my whole thing back and I'll probably just have a couple really high beds. But that's the thing. If you're going to have a, if you have a really bad back and you can't bend over and you can't kneel, it's got to be high. It's not the recommended height of 10 inches. That's not going to do anything for you. You know, I mean, if something's 10 inches off the ground, I, I just have to bend slightly more for me. It really doesn't make that big of a difference. If you're trying to take away the amount you have to bend and kneel, uh, your bed's going to have to be like two feet high or even higher. I'm, you know, a big, tall, tall dude like me, six foot four, I'd need like three feet high if I was just going to walk around and really not bend that much. Um, you imagine the cost and the materials um, that would be required to build a bed with those kind of dimensions. I mean, it's prohibitive. I mean, yeah, if you got a couple, I mean, you do. I'm, I'm not saying you can't do any of these things. I'm just trying to, from a practical point of view, right? If you were a person with just reasonably good health and didn't have any of those issues, I don't see why you'd, why you'd want to not be bending and not be kneeling. You want to do that for as long as you can to keep yourself limber, right? If you've got that problem, sure, that's a, that's a solution and it is a good solution for that. But if you don't have that problem, uh, you don't need to do it. And if you do have that problem, a 10 inch high bed isn't going to solve it for you. The recommended height, you're going to have to have a higher bed. And once the bed gets higher, you're going to have issues with keeping your moisture levels good in your soil. You might have to put in some sort of drip irrigation, or as I've done videos on, um, perhaps if you build that bed with a hugoculture design, uh, that's another way to get around that. But if your back and your knees are that bad, you're not building that thing anyway. Some you're going to pay someone to build it for you. Maybe you can get a um, one, you know, kids or a loved one or a friend to build it for you, right? So there's only so much of that you can do. Anyway, getting off on a tangent here. Um, what was the other one here? Um, it's a claim that it was good in limited spaces. I don't even understand that claim. I mean, any garden that's small is good in a limited space. I mean, if you make a, a rectangle in the ground, <laughs> if you have a small yard, you can have a small garden. You don't need a raised bed to garden in a limited space, right? I don't even understand that claim. Um, they say it can keep, uh, you know, spreading type plants, plants like mint in check, keep them from spreading. Perhaps if they're high enough, I mean, I've seen from experience beds that are like, you know, 16, two inches high, um, they don't hold a colt's foot in check. They don't hold, uh, what's another one, gout weed in check, right? They don't hold the really bad, but they don't hold Japanese knotweed in check. I mean, nothing holds that stuff in check, right? Um, I'd be surprised if, certainly if you built them at their recommended length or recommended height, 10 inches, that's not going to hold mint in check. Are you kidding me? I mean, mint <laughs> won't be contained. Uh, maybe if you were like three feet high, it might hold the mint in check. I don't, I don't know if it would go down that far. Um, I don't know. Mint's pretty, pretty aggressive. Um, 
but certainly at that recommended height, and that's not holding mint in check. Um, there's a claim here that they increased yields. How? How? How on earth would having something in a box that's a bit higher than the ground increase yield in any way? If you've got good soil, you'll get a. If you've got good soil, good sun, and the right amount of moisture, you'll have a great yield. And if you're missing in any one of those categories, you're going to have a lesser yield. And the fact that it's in a box and it's a certain height above grade is not going to confer any advantage to your yield. That's an empty claim that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, another advantage of raised beds, you can rotate your crops. Hey, <laughs> so thank goodness people can now rotate their crops because no one knew how to do it before there was raised beds. I mean, come on, this doesn't make any, where is this coming from? You know, you, you, you don't need a raised bed to uh, come up with a crop, crop rotation schedule. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, you know, as, as long as you have a some sort of geometric uh, understanding of where things, as long as you know where things were last year and you put them somewhere else this year, <laughs> you can do rotating crops. You don't need raised beds to rotate crops. Um, uh, and, and I think then the final claim was, and more. Well, it's good that there's more because uh, I haven't seen much here that's very interesting to me. So uh, yeah, and more. I, I'd love to know what the end. I'd love to know what the and more is. <laughs> Because uh, I haven't seen, I haven't really got, nothing here has convinced me that it's, it's any better than anything else. Um, so uh, anyway, a little bit of a different format for the, today's podcast. I just thought I'd uh, go into that and uh, just thought it was, when I read this article, I was like, oh, I got to talk about this. Um, so I don't mean anything bad to the person that wrote it. Um, I don't begrudge them a living. Uh, but I don't make a living doing this. <laughs> just, I, I've got a job. This is just something I do on the side. And so I don't have to, you know, particularly be nice to anyone. <laughs> you know, if I get ruined as a garden uh, personality, it's really not going to affect my life whatsoever. Um, my, my, uh, my only interest is in providing useful information for the viewers. And uh, I hope this was useful for you. Um, so there's very little specific in that garden, in that article that was specific to raised beds. Um, and I'm sorry to go on about this topic. I mean, every year I do some sort of piece on raised beds, but it's, it's something of a pet peeve for me, this whole raised bed thing. Um, you, you just, the idea that you need them, that you have to put money down for materials, you have to spend time doing this and that. It's just, uh, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it, if you like the way they look, I like the way they look, okay? So I own that, and I have I have beds that are sort of slightly raised, and there's advantages to the slight advantage. You know, um, you know, if, if it's, it it rains a lot here in the spring, so it's good to have them up a little bit. But I'm talking like three four inches above grade, not ten, right? Um, and the higher it is, the more more you have to uh, more materials you have to find to to build that that frame, right? And most of these people, when they say they can repurpose anything, they're not repurposing anything. They're going to the lumber yard and buying lumber, right? <laughs> So, uh, I don't, because they want it to look a certain way. So just, just own it. You, you use them because you like the way they look. It's a nice little box. It's like a flower pot. It's a fancy wooden flower pot and you like the way it looks, right? And that's, I mean, so much of the content in, in you know, gardening periodicals, to my eye anyway, from, for those that watch my videos, you know, I'm a very pragmatic, practical person. As I've said many times, um, 
The plants don't care what your garden looks like. They care about the quality of the soil, right? That's what they care about. They don't care about anything else. So all the stuff, I mean, I call it fashion gardening because that's what it is. It's about how it looks. Oh, look at these tomatoes. What a neat color. Look at these uh, other things. Oh, look, look at these uh, crazy uh, carrots. Look at these things. What does that matter? I mean, do they taste good? Do they, are they sort of pest resistant? Are they drought resistant? Do they grow well? Do they store well? You know, that sort of thing. I mean, that's what I'm interested in. I don't care what color they are. I mean, that, that's that's besides the point. I mean, sure, maybe the pops on a plate and that sort of thing. Um, but if you're if you're in the business of trying to grow your own food, um, which is what I'm all about, I want disease resistant, pest resistance. I, you know, I want the, the varieties to have those great qualities. I, want, I don't want to have to use pesticides. I don't want to have to use um, fungicides and all that sort of stuff. I want to have a really good robust variety of something that grows well and in terms of the garden um, sure it's, it's nice to have a beautiful garden and you know uh, what you are growing stuff in is is part of that uh, to me the most beautiful garden is the productive garden the, the garden that maintains itself the garden that you really don't have to you go out there and everything's big and everything's growing really well and there's just food everywhere and uh, you haven't spent a lot of time or money or your own resources and you've had a very low ecological impact in making that garden happen you get a, a raised bed you get a whole bunch of lumber that came from a forest somewhere and there's a whole bunch of fuel used in getting it to your property and if you put a bunch of soil in there that, that soil was scraped off the ground somewhere else transported in a big old truck maybe it was put into like 50 bags that you bought right all those bags are made of plastic which is basically made from oil which came from some other place I mean, think of the ecological input that went into all the footprint that went into all of that stuff and there's no need of any of it if you've got if you've got some sort of soil to work with you can just use uh, garden regular garden waste leaves and grass and stuff like that to improve the garden as i have in mind so uh yeah <laughs> bit of a rant there but uh that's good to do once in a while i feel uh, i feel like uh, a little bit better now so uh i hope you found that interesting if you enjoy this content uh please uh check out my sponsors vested seeds and safer gardening product if there's something they need <laughs> Let me rephrase that. If there's something they sell that you need, buy it from them and help support uh, all the costs that go into making this podcast pro uh, possible and, and my YouTube videos. So uh, I hope you enjoyed the content. If you did, please like, share, subscribe, uh, let other people know, get the word out on uh, various uh, social media platforms. And until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for watching.